4: A pistol that shoots two ways, and a look that means you're dead before you draw. and the gun are one called Zapata.
2: Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Ms. Heather Drain.
3: Hello, hello.
2: Also back in the booth is Mr. Mark Begley.
0: Hey, friend. It's Begley. You're finished.
2: Spaghetti Western Month continues with a look at the Sabata films. It's something of a trilogy, but not really. Some might say that there are seven films in the series, but really, they're just kind of 2, and we'll unpack all of that stuff as we go along. The original film, Hey Friend, It's Sabata You're Finished, or just Sabata, was written and directed by Gianfranco Parolini and released in 1969. The film stars Lee Van Cleef as the titular gunfighter who's no stranger to gadgets. He moseys into a place where the town's power brokers have set up a robbery of their own money in order to collect the insurance. Sabata begins to extort these pillars of society with the help of a Mexican-lout garincha, or carincha, depends on what your subtitles are saying, a Native American acrobat named Alley Cat, and a former friend turn rival a frenemy, I suppose, named Banjo. We will be spoiling this film and some of the others as we go along, so if you haven't seen Sabata, turn off the show and come back after you have. We will still be here. Heather, had you seen the Sabata films before?
3: That was kind of filed under the category of films I had, I had read about for years and heard about and was always curious to kind of check out, especially because Spaghetti Western, you know, I know some of the bigger titles and of course I love El Grande Silencio. This year was my, my time, thanks to investigate the Sabata films and, uh, the first one I was, pleased as punch I, I i know we'll go further into it but um i thought it was like so, it was so much fun lee van cleef is in fact the man and this is one of my new favorite lee van cleef roles like he just owns it like a
0: custom-made leather suit
2: and mark how about yourself sabata friendly this
0: was my first time watching any of these you may have shown one on a movie night i did okay i, I didn't see all of it i believe when i watched was it the first one it was there were a few familiar scenes and a lot of times i have to kind of cut in and out on those nights and i miss certain things and i couldn't quite tell if it was this or a different uh, spaghetti western
2: and now after you've seen seven movies they all kind of run together don't they
0: that is one of the problems with watching all of these
2: yes And then me, like a genius, I went and I bought the Sartana box set, not the Sabata box set, because Sartana, same writer, Gianfranco Parolini, and Sabata was kind of his response to Sartana. Like, he couldn't make another Sartana film, so he said, oh, I'm going to do my own thing and make Sabata. And this was not my first time with the first Sabata film But definitely my first time with all of the rest of these films, including the amazing third film, which I'm very excited to talk to you all about, Lee Van Cleef. Oh, my God. You know, For a Few Dollars More is my favorite of the Leone dollars trilogy. I can't say it's my favorite Leone overall. That's probably Once Upon a Time in the West. But Lee Van Cleef is the reason why I love For a Few Dollars More so much. And this Colonel Mortimer character that he plays in that movie so similar to Sabata, especially the whole idea of the gun with the long handle so he can take care of stuff from long distance. And he uses that pretty quickly in this movie. So I was very happy about that. Same kind of outfit and everything, too. And just leave Ankleef exudes cool like nobody's business.
3: He is so amazing in this. And he has like such a great kind of sense of humor with his swagger. Like he's always kind of walking around. With this almost like, not quite a smirk, but he's just kind of bemused, you know? It's like people try to constantly betray him and one-up him, and he knows he's got it. Like, he knows he's cool. He's just got that that presence of just, like, he is the man. He knows he's the man. He's going to show you why he's the man. And also, I mean, at times he's almost like supernaturally talented. Like he just, I mean, especially the third one, at one point he's just popping up like like a monster. Like you think the guy's running from, and all of a sudden there's Sabata. And But he pulls it off. Like that's kind of the thing is like there's so many things in these films. Like if you're somebody, if you're a viewer that likes to live in a land of logic, where everything makes sense, you do not need to watch these movies. (laughs) But to me, that's kind of like part of it. There's like sort of a, a weird magic, especially with the this one and the
2: third one. He dies in both of those movies and comes back from the dead in each one of them.
0: I'm not that familiar with a lot of his work, even in the Spaghetti Western genre. But of what I have seen, I've never seen him be as... I, I mean, funny, for lack of a better word. It was interesting to note that uh, it wasn't just serious squinty eyes. I'm going to kill everybody through all the films or well through his two films that he's in. And I really enjoyed that. I liked that he was a little more mischievous, I guess. And I was glad that he was back in the third. I don't have anything against Yul Brenner, and I actually like the second one pretty well, but I was happy in watching return of Sabata to have him back
3: Once you see him as Sabata, it's almost like it's like when you when you see a band like a rock band, you love, have a new lead singer and it just doesn't work. You know, you're like, that's not Jim Morrison. That's Ian Asbury from the cold. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Yul Brenner's great. Ian Asbury's great. He's not Jim Morrison. Like there's there's to me, it's like in my mind, Sabata is 120 percent Lee Van Uh And we'll go more into the the second one here a little bit, too, obviously. (laughs)
2: He does have this colorful band of characters, but even Sabata just himself, even if he was alone, he reminds me a lot of, well, of course he reminds me a lot of like, uh, the man with no name as far as that idea or Yojimbo, the inspiration, that idea of that he knows everything that's going on and doesn't really need to figure anything out. He's kind of like Columbo. Like when this robbery happens and he goes out and he, kills all of the robbers that took this money from the bank and brings everything back and he's just like hey here's all the money isn't this great it's like he immediately sniffs out something's not right and he pretty much can put his finger right on the pulse and i just love that and so much of this is it's it is very Yo know, jimbo slash fistful of dollars ask for me as far as him going oh yeah well i'm looking for a reward and i think he starts at $5,000 and then pretty much he starts extorting all of these pillars of the community until he gets up to like $60,000 and I think the original total that was stolen was $100,000 so he just keeps raising that asking price like if you want to keep my mouth shut let's talk about a little bit more money how about 10000 how about 20000 and then yeah now he's got these other guys where he's going to split that money with them Karencha who is I love him so much. And Alley Cat, who never says a word, but he bounces around like a friggin' tennis ball. And then Banjo, this William Berger character, who just constantly hanging around, kind of like Harmonica in Once Upon a Time in the West, hanging around, playing that banjo. And you know there's history between the two of them, but I don't think we ever really get the whole story, but I just love that they're fucking with each other the entire movie.
3: I think we cannot... Heap enough praise on Ignacio Spalo as Carincha, who's kind of like the guardian angel of all three films. Like, he's in, of course, these films share so many of the same actors, and almost everybody's playing a different role, except Lee Van Cleef. But uh, he's or got this, he? like, <laughs> yeah, he's got this great, like, big, almost like, I don't know, Falstaff? I don't know, energy? I don't, it's just, he's so much fun and just so gregarious, and his laugh. He's got this like, (laughs) like laugh. That's just it's he's fantastic.
0: You know, you were mentioning Mike the how Sabata seems to be three or four steps ahead of everybody, and I had read I think in one of the pieces that you sent that the director was fascinated by chess. That really great scene in the film where that plays out visually between Sabata and the main baddie in this. Stingle. I'm going to try and keep names. I think that's the baddie in this one. I'm trying to keep names uh, straight here. Who who reminded me, the actor reminded me of William Finley the whole time I was watching the movie. I was like, there's something about that guy's eyes that reminds me of of uh, De Palma's little friend that shows up in all his movies. But I just love that scene at his dinner table when they're moving, each of them is moving the wine and the You know, he's got that cane that shoots something out of it and Zapata obviously knows that and he's moving the bottle here and the plate there and it just goes to that whole thing of he he knows what's going on three, four steps ahead, which you have to in a game of chess.
2: Because there's the other two baddies. So there's the judge, the banker, and the rancher. And the rancher is Stengel. And the judge and the banker, I mean, you can almost just forget about those guys. They just kind of represent the money and the power of the city. But Stengel is really the power behind the throne. And he is a great match for Sabata because, like Sabata... He loves gadgets. And he mentioned his cane that shoots out, I guess, like spikes or knives or something. He also has this room in his ranch house where the ranch house, which is just this incredible palace, it's actually like the Via dei Mussolini, right? Where Mussolini spent his summer <laughs> months and... He's got this this big room and there are these two like metal cutouts of men and he has these very elaborate duels that take place behind each of them and there's a a secret uh hole in the heart of the one that he stands behind so he can use either a gun or that cane to shoot at his opponent that way but again sabata knows exactly what's up with all of this stuff and yeah i love that dinner scene when he is moving those big flasks to block that cane and yeah it's very much like a long distance chess match with objects on the table it's fantastic
3: dingle has this kind of like he's almost like a, a spider playing with his prey he has this kind of like coolness about him and like he even has like this line about Life is only worth living when you can face death with no fear.
2: I also thought you couldn't know life until you fucked death in the gallbladder.
3: Well, that's actually my own personal favorite line. Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Your own philosophy?
3: Team Udo Kier and Paul Morrissey all the way. Of all of the three main films, I think Stingle is the best. I mean, for the reasons both of you have mentioned, I think he's the best villain, because he really is such a great foil for Sabata.
0: None of the other ones measure up as far as sheer scuzziness. I like his line about, I don't know if it's a Marxist line where I had just watched rope the other day and they say, it's kind of a similar thing. Like this kind of stuff is okay for people of uh, superior intellect and everyone else is at my bidding. And that sums him up perfectly.
2: I read an article where they were talking about a book that he's reading And it's basically the philosophy of that book is what he's quoting as far as, like, he's that upper echelon. He's the you know, the Nietzschean Superman, is how he views himself, and he views everyone else below him, and he's basically trying to find maybe his equal. And then I read another review where they said that he's a homosexual, and I wasn't really getting that he was coded homosexual, and I know homosexuality is one of those things that comes up in some of these spaghetti westerns, one of my favorite being um, one of the Django movies where you've got this whole gang of homosexuals, but I didn't really see Stengel as gay. I don't know if you guys picked up on that one or not, if I just completely missed it.
0: I didn't pick up on it, but I usually, I'm not super well versed in spaghetti westerns overall, but a lot of times that bad guy, the, you know, who looks like he came from the big city is portrayed effeminately by their clothes, maybe by their hair, kind of looks like he might have eyeliner on. You know, when you mentioned that, I think I had read something that there was supposed to be this question about Sabata and Banjo, and I totally missed out on it the first time I watched it, and the only thing that implied that in the movie that I caught the second time was, I believe it's Sabata says, we used to play together. That was like the only indication of how they knew each other. You know, they've obviously got history like you've mentioned and there's there's somebody from Sabata's past in all the films that serves as a foil. And that line, I was like, oh, I guess that's what they were talking about. Because he says it kind of oddly, and then, and it's not explained in any depth whatsoever. So that's really the only homosexual coding I caught, if that's even what they were going for.
3: I'm not really buying that. The thing is, like, uh, with Stingle, it's like he's kind of a dandy, comparatively – to sort of the like the scruffier townspeople, which I think kind of making a character dandy can be a great way to kind of show them to be a little villainous, you know, he's not a man of the people or anything. But yeah, as far as any like coded gay, I, I don't see it at all. If anything, especially with banjo, I think he's a total just like poon hound. But speaking <laughs> of banjo, how great is
2: banjo? I fucking love banjo, and that that scene that Perolini just. I wouldn't say over-direct, because it is just fucking fantastic, when he's going from Banjo's face to the banjo, back to the face, back to the banjo, and it's all just like these kind of like, it's not even like a swish pan, it's just like this just swish tilt, I guess it is, of the banjo back to the face, back to the banjo, back to the face, and then when (laughs) it just keeps getting faster and faster and faster, and then finally Sabata shoots the banjo, and he's just like, you're out of tempo.
3: This may be my own sort of like Mike is very well informed of my own personal bias fangirlness of Charles Rocket. Did he kind of remind you of Charles Rocket mm, a
0: little bit in this? That's who I was thinking of. Yes,
3: thank you. Okay, at least it wasn't just because I kept because <laughs> I kept being like, man, I like I like the cut of his jib, and I'm like in the midway, I'm like, holy shit, I know why I do because he reminds me of Charles
0: Rocket. That is so funny. I was like, his facial features, if you put a wig on whoever it is I'm thinking of, that's the guy, and I couldn't remember his name. That is exactly it. You know, it's funny. I watched Sartana, the first one, today, Mike. You mentioned that earlier. And I do believe it's the same director going as Frank Kramer uh, as the Sabata films. William Berger is in that, and he's got a little bit meatier role, so you might want to check that one out. It's pretty fun.
3: Duly noted. He's so, <laughs> and even his pants, like he's got these like pants with this great fringe that has little like bells. So he's always kind of jangling mm-hmm. wherever he goes.
2: Yeah. Usually it's the Spurs that jingle jangle, but he's all about that. I mean, it's, it's literally bell bottoms. And Yule brenner has got some fancy
0: duds in the second one, which we'll get to eventually. But, um, <laughs> talk about bell bottoms.
3: The fact that, we have one of the greatest reveals ever with his musical instrument of choice. And, and especially cause leading up to, you can kind of tell a lot of people are very like, they don't take him seriously. They kind of think, he, I mean, even, even like his lover is just like, sort of just like, doesn't take, you know, look at you with this instrument, you know, kind of yeah. attitude midway, the banjo is a gun. That is so awesome. That, Oh my. And, and the fact that they made, they kind of built it up. Cause you know, Early on, you keep expecting, is it going to be a gun? Because you've already seen Sabata with his like insano sort of gun that can shoot from different ends and all this. But, <laughs> um, know, yeah, but he doesn't use it. And so they, they save it it's just, ah, oh, till the midway point. And then, so when he does reveal it, it's like, oh, yes, the, the greatest reveal.
2: And you're talking about the history between those two, and I kept thinking that it was probably something to do with the war, because I think Garanja keeps saying that he was a war hero, and this seems like it's set just a little bit past the Civil War, and is one of those, like, who was—I can really see Stengel being a war profiteer, and I can see, like, was sabata which side was he on, and was he— was he doing right by the war? or Was he a soldier? Was he a colonel, like Colonel Mortimer? Like, what is his story? And I kept thinking there was something there with Banjo and him maybe even being on opposite sides. That's the impression
0: I got. And I don't know if that was just from reading one of the articles that you sent, or maybe even just the Wikipedia page. But it's not explicit in the film. But that was my understanding. That's what I went into the film with. And also having read a little bit prior to watching the films, I had that uh hidden shotgun or hidden rifle and the banjo sort of ruined for me because I knew that that was, you know, and I kept going, well, when is he going to start shooting people? So it was still a nice reveal when it happened, but I had kind of been spoiled for me. But in all of the films, there is some relation to the Zapata character to the Civil War um as far as, you know, time and place for the films.
2: That's what it feels like, yeah, especially
0: in these first 3. Yeah, the first 3, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the unofficial ones um yeah, I don't know. Those were all over the place, so.
2: The first time I watched this, it was one of those where I I just didn't really catch everything that was going on. And so especially like the Alley Cat character, I was just like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Because it's not just Alley Cat that is there. <laughs> But I love his reveal when he's up on the roof, like Fiddler on the roof, and he jumps off of it and bounces like there's are obviously hidden trampolines, right? But he just bounces and bounces again and then lands and he's just, you know, there he is. And there's also acrobats when it comes to the actual robbery itself. And these guys are there just like, you know, Oh, this guy stands on a a piece of wood and this other guy jumps on it. And then this guy flies up there. And it was just like, wow, this is amazing. All this acrobatics that are going on, but that is nothing compared to the third film, which is a literal fucking circus.
0: That was interesting. I missed that. The kind of missed that the first time uh, watching the first film and, they had this the coach with the Virginia brothers uh, flag on it and uh, they kept mentioning St. Louis and uh, Sabata seemed to know who they were and what figured it. you know, again, figured it out that, oh, why are these acrobats here? Uh, Okay. I get it. You know, they bounced up to the window, got in that way, robbed the bank and it seems like St. Louis comes up quite a bit in, in a number of these films. I'm not sure what the, reason for that is, what the history with St. Louis is and the Old West. Right. I don't know if it's
2: just like the gateway to the West kind of thing, you know? Makes perfect sense to me. But yeah, to your point from earlier, I mean, Stengel being a dandy, it feels very much like he was somebody from out East who's now out there just saying like, look at all these roofs that I can fleece. This is going to be fantastic. And the other thing that's really fun about the
0: films are all the gadgets, like you've mentioned, and how this again, from reading the material, is I believe the director's nods to 007. And I think he directed some spy films. So that, for me, was the most interesting aspect to these films, other than Lee Van Cleef being able to let go and not be super serious and squinty the whole time. But I loved anticipating what Gadget was going to come up next.
2: Yeah, he's even got like an old record player, and he's uh, playing a voice. As he's got this coach going towards these guys with dynamite on it. I think that's in the first one, right?
0: Yeah, that's the kind of Trojan horse at the at the end of the film there, where they think he's on the state on the coach, and he's sent it in full of dynamite with the little phonograph. Well, I guess it's just a phonograph. The little wax cylinders that they used to use. Those pop up a couple of times throughout this the series in the
2: films as well. The music in this, and we'll talk about music so often during Spaghetti Western Month because so many of these scores are just classic, but the main theme that comes up in here is fantastic, and then even there's that moment, and I know it 's not the phantom of the opera theme that's a, but that's what I wrote in my notes, but at one point, like that theme from the Phantom of the Opera plays, and suddenly we have like a horror beat inside of here. It was so good. threw in a little gothic horror touch for us, yeah, that was great i didn't mention that crazy it sounds like a plank being hit or something. It's this weird, like, noise that plays a couple times. And I'm just like, what the hell is this supposed to represent?
0: It sounds like the noise that... Um, I can't even think of a movie that does this, and I may be making this up entirely. It sounds like the noise to represent a boner, like in a in a ball, you know, like <laughs> a a doorstop and i was like what in the hell is that <laughs> <laughs>
3: which now anytime i hear that noise i'm going to refer to it mentally as the boner sting <laughs> There are like kind of some oddly, slightly gothic flourishes, so I could see that, especially in the beginning. Because the beginning, you have like when they're doing the robbery, you have all this like kind of a stormy night, and you have this gothic music, and which is almost kind of off-putting compared to the rest of the movie. Now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> there's no boner stings uh, in the in the beginning.
2: Well, I guess that fits with the idea that we are talking about before, too, with the death and resurrection of Sabata. Because at one point, it seems like Banjo, who is now being paid by Stengel and his two cronies to kill Sabata that he kills Sabata and they take him out of town and then we find out of course no Sabata's not dead and then he comes back for his revenge and then you know enacts his whole plan I mean it's very much like this is all part of the plan okay you're going to kill me quote unquote and then I'll come back and I'll do this and that so Sabata's like a little bit of a ghost for a bit so I guess that fits with the gothic idea too
0: the style of that third movie the opening not maybe gothic but Definitely jalo with the colors and all that. So it's kind of fun when they hit on those different genres in these, because it can be, for me at least, it can get a little bit old with some of the lesser spaghetti westerns, where it's just the same thing over and over again: people getting shot and and flinging themselves off of a hill or their horse and uh, can get repetitive. So having those interesting odd touches, um, really livens up the viewing
2: for me. You mentioned 007. There's a lot of 007 stuff, especially the gadgets. You know, Heather, you mentioned the gun that can shoot out of the handle rather than just always out of the barrel, which is interesting. Trinity was a Western comedy, but this is a different type of Western comedy. It's almost like Western spy comedy. Put inside of that. And it, it, yeah, it's not like anything that I personally had ever seen before. This weird amalgamation. And I think in the wrong hands, it could have been a disaster. But for me, this movie really works.
3: Oh, absolutely. Well, in the, in a lot of it too is like the, the cast, like everybody pulls off the each role so well. And especially the dynamic between Lee Van Cleef and Ignacio as Carincha. And also, like, I have to mention, I loved Aldo Conti, uh, so much in this as Indio, which I guess is maybe not a politically, <laughs> For that character, because, but you know, come on, if you're wanting political correctness, don't watch Euro cult, probably from this decade. And yeah, whether it's Western or or what, but, um, but he's so great and he has such a great physicality. And and in this film, he's completely mute, but has a very expressive face. And, um, while kind of researching for this episode, and I was telling Mike a little bit about this earlier, I found out Aldo Coctey died in his 40s, he was murdered. And apparently he had under, he dealings with the underworld in Italy and had a gambling debt. It's, well, this is speculation because nobody ever found his killers. But basically sort of the going thing, uh, belief is that he had a gambling debt that he had not paid off. And uh, he was, yeah, he was found shot in the head in a park.
0: The only thing I read about him was that he was in the Olympics. Maybe I was reading about a different guy.
3: That confused me, too, because I saw that, too, and I was – because, I mean, he's so physically agile in this, you could easily believe it. Um, But I think the other – the Olympian, Aldo Conti, was born in the 60s?
0: Time did not match. I think it had him in, like, the early 80s, maybe in L.A., the 1980, and and that would not make sense. So you're probably right. They got – they connected the two erroneously,
3: it's Wikipedia, so obviously my mileage is gonna vary.
2: <laughs> you brought up Indio and I'm just like who the hell's Indio? And I'm I'm looking, I'm like, oh Aldo Conti. Oh, okay, he's Alley Cat, so he's probably Indio in, like, the Italian version, but he's Alley Cat in the English dub version. I mean, we just had this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about The Great Silence, where Klaus sees Tigrero in the dub, but he's or in the Italian, and he's Loco in the English subtitle, so it's just like, okay, which is it? Why doesn't this match? And it's funny that, you know, here we are, Sabata, 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 I don't think they ever say his name in the movie, and there's even a part where right at the end, where um, uh, Garincha's like, hey, what's your name? And he's like, oh, didn't I mention it? And he never says it, and he just goes off into the sunset. See you later, stranger.
0: That kind of makes sense with this whole series, though, of who is Sabata. I mean, he's different in every film, played by a different actor in the second one. And then once you get into the unofficial, the four, and I believe there's even more than the four that we watched. I read at some point that there are like up to 12. And in one of them, I believe the last one that the last one released, there's no character named Zapata in that one at all. And I'm like, well, what? So that that makes me think about all this stuff. Like when studios these days take a script and they go, what are we going to do with this? Well, let's make this the next Die Hard movie. It wasn't written as a Die Hard movie. Or I know this has happened with the Saw franchise as well. I believe the second film was something these two other guys that were completely unassociated with the first film wrote. And they said, well, this could be a Saw film, just add a couple more crazy traps, and there you go. And it brings up that sort of cynical part of me, which I really try to avoid when watching these. But you have to look at it like, why did they make the second film a Sapata movie? And they changed it at some point because the characters do, I believe, say Sabata in that film when it's the Yul Brynner character. Um, just by watching the mouth movement, it really looks like they're saying Sabata and not Indio Black or whatever his name was supposed to be. It brings up this weird confluence of, um you know, these forced sequels and existing properties and trying to cash in. And then it also becomes almost like a legend where all these stories people pass around the campfire eventually end up being ascribed to one person. So that's how I ended up looking at them. Like, okay, Sabata is just... He's a legend in, in this during this time, and these three different people did these wildly different things. And at some point somebody just said, Oh yeah, that was Zabata, that was Zabata, that was Zabata. And not even getting into again the the foreign official ones and how they relate or don't relate to Zabata at all.
3: I think that's such a such a cool take on this series of films and kind of just with certain films kind of set when you have sort of a similar mythos in general, kind of looking at almost like an urban legend or a campfire tale. That's, that's super cool.
6: You can't meet him face to face. And you can't turn your back on him. What can you say about Sabata except adios? Adios Sabata. Ewell Brunner as Sabata. Each clip for his sawed-off lever action 30-30 contains seven rim-fire Remington cartridges and one cigar. Ewell Brunner as Sabata. They say you can judge a man by the company he keeps, like Gypsy. When he starts dancing, people start dying. September, every inch a killer, right down to his toes. The gringo, when he went by the book, so did you. The colonel. A marksman who never missed a chance to practice. What can you say about Sabata except adios? Adios, Sabata. It's no wonder he always wears black.
2: So the second film directed and co-written by Perolini again, and yeah, it's called Adios Sabata, at least that's how we know it, but the original title was Indio Black, Psyche Titico Set Un Gran Filio Di, and then dot dot dot, which translates, and it's funny because we were making a joke about this before we started recording, Indio Black, you know I tell you, you are a great son of Dot, dot, dot. And that's like the joke <laughs> is that every time. And it's very, very uh, Tuco, right? From uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. You know, when he says you're a son of a bitch, but then they have the ah, 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 come over it. So he doesn't actually say bitch. It's so funny. These movies can be as violent as anybody's business, but they always watch it with the language. <laughs> Murders galore. But you cannot call someone an asshole or a son of a bitch or anything like this.
0: Yeah, that really threw me off. And I just gotta say, I I love the original titles of all of these films, and I really wish they were presented that way. I mean, we could go... I made a whole list of Spaghetti Western titles, and they pretty much... And I think you mentioned this on one of your episodes already, Mike, that they kind of rival the audacity and inventiveness of Jolly titles, and they really like to use ellipses a lot. and It's just sort of fun to read those and read the different transcriptions and translations of them. Like I, I have one that's different from what you said, Indio black, you know what I'm going to tell you, dot, dot, dot. You're a big son of a dot, dot, dot. And it's like, man, that's a awesome, just swap out Indio black for a sabata and keep that amazing title instead of just audio sabata.
2: Well, and with Adios Sabata, you think it's the last one. And so when it's Return of Sabata, I'm like, okay, is that the second one or the third one? It's kind of like Rise of the Planet of the Apes being before Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And I'm just like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. First there's Dawn, then there's Rise, then there's War. But no, it's Rise, Dawn, War. Okay. Fire whoever came up with that.
3: Take your damn hands off of me, you dirty son of a... Dot, 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 dot.
2: Life is cheap. Toilet paper is expensive.
3: I love that. I love it. <laughs> I think my other favorite is, like, God forgives. I don't.
2: Have a good funeral, friend. Sartana will pay. And they smelled the
0: strange, exciting, dangerous scent of dollars. You could just swap out dollars for something kind of sexy or gross in that one, and you have a Jolly to- title completely. I mean,
2: these are amazing. There are so many good ones. What's that one? My room is a lot. My love is a locked door. I can't even remember what that is. Vice is a locked
0: room and only I have the key. Something to that effect.
2: Adios Sapata made me have to go look up the entire history of what Austria was doing in Mexico. It was one of those like, okay, I think I remember that from history class that Austria owned the Mexican territories for a while, but I had completely forgotten about it. And so the whole idea of what is it, Emperor Maximilian and all this I mean, this movie is steeped in this idea of Austria and Mexico. And so you've got these like Mexican banditos that are going through here. That's kind of a freedom fighters. I mean, there's a great scene where we've got the the main villain who's this Austrian count. Is he Colonel Skinner? Stemmel? Stemmel. Stemmel? Stemmel? Yeah, so close to the Stendhal uh, uh, (laughs) that I'm just like, what?
0: I guess it might depend on which version you watched. Um, I believe I watched these all on screen pics the first time, and I may have had to watch Adios on what you sent over, and I don't know if it was different on both, but yeah, it depends on who's typing them out, I guess. (laughs)
3: Going into this one, you know, I was on such a high from the first one because it was just so good. It loved all the characters. Within the first five minutes of this one, you have a Kenny. Like, which anybody that's into Gamera movies knows exactly what I'm talking about. When you see a precocious child pop up and you're like, no, please, I don't, I don't want a child in this universe. I don't need some annoying. And especially when the monk... Is trying to tell this boy, you know, we don't need to celebrate violence, and uh, their monastery's been attacked. And the and the kid says, little Juanito says, the Lord is Sabata, <laughs> and he didn't get slapped because I I don't I mean I wasn't raised Catholic, but I, I've heard I've heard legends. I have family as Catholic about if you get a little too uh, mouthy with certain nuns or priests, you they you tend to get hit. Uh, a lot uh southern baptists aren't much different for the record but uh the lord is sabata which honestly that should have been a title too like what a great title would that be like sabata as a deity
2: yeah el dio is sabata i'd like it that sounds good so yeah, skimmel and i thought he looked familiar and of course he is the same guy who was the european pistolero in the big gun down it's funny because in that one he's going against Lee Van Cleef, in this one he's going against Yul Brenner. And I gotta say, Yul Brenner, I like Yul Brenner, but he is being much more of that character from The Magnificent Seven, that kind of loner, outsider type of guy where you can't really tell what's going on behind the facade versus Lee Van Cleef, who seems to be just having a really good time. It doesn't feel like Yul Brenner's having a great time playing this, and for me, it was kind of a letdown the second one
3: absolutely same and it breaks my heart to say that because i too i love yul brenner classic actor and he has such a great presence i thought he was bland honestly and i never thought in my life i'd ever say the word bland with yul brenner but here i am and you know and i mean it's not that he sucks or no he's fine you know but it's just and he does have that great black fringe like tight. Like he's and he's always shown a lot of chest hair. I mean I know he has a lot of chest hair, but that thing is low cut for like the wild west. It's just like you can tell he's like, listen, I'm your Brenner, I know I look good, ladies. Here are my Brenner pecs. You're welcome. And I respect that. But yeah, it's just um this one I just felt like this film has some good stuff about it, which we'll go into that I really did love. But Van Cleef is Sabata. You know, he's just, it's just, there's no one, there's no other person that is going to satisfy this role like Lee Van Cleef. But Brenner's fine. I mean, honestly, after, after spot watching some of the knockoffs, um, I was, I was like, I owe, I owe you a Brenner (laughs) apology. (laughs) uh, Right. (laughs) Yeah. He's
0: definitely not as interesting as a character in this, but he's definitely wearing
2: flashier clothes. And there's weird dotted lines between the first one and the second one. So, obviously, Sabata, and he's got this kind of interesting gun. This time, it's like, rather than it being a cylinder for his gun, it's like this flat line that goes across. And the last one, there's always a cigar in it. So, like, when he's done killing people, he can pull the cigar out, and then he's got that for him. There's this Dean Reed character named Valentine, who I kept thought thinking was Valentine. And he's kind of the banjo person, but not really. He doesn't play a banjo, but he's just this kind of like pain in the ass from Sabata's past, who just like keeps coming in and he's just like, Yeah, I'm gonna fuck over whatever kind of deals you get going here, Sabata. Good luck with that. And then you get uh Ignacio Spala again as as Scudo in this, and he's kind of playing the same role, but a little bit different. But really for me, it's like him and septiembre who's this guy who he carries around little like ball bearings and he'll drop one into his boot and then he's got like a little cup in the tova's boot and then he can like whip that thing it's like this hacky sack from hell kind of thing where he can just murder people with these there's another guy and i'm trying to remember what his name is if he's uh gitano but he gets up and he'll dance before someone is murdered. He'll do like a flamenco and he's there like, you know, he's clapping his hands and and tapping his feet and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, Oh, something bad's going to happen at the end of this dance. Look out. But man, September, even though he doesn't say anything, he's like the character for me. It's like, all right, cool. You know, he's very much like alley cat or Indio that he doesn't speak, but I'm just like, this guy's got charisma galore. And, Give me the September story. I love this guy.
0: Yeah, he was definitely one of my favorites in that second film.
3: Sal Borges, I believe, is the the name actor that played him. He just has almost this like silent film. Kind of quality to his face, like he has so much expression in his eyes, and you just tell there's a lot of depth going on. Um, I totally would have been down for a, a follow up that's focused on his origins and everything. He's so great, and uh, also Hacky Sack of Death should be another a spaghetti western title. All right, what was it? No, Hacky Sack from Hell. Dean Reed. In my in my original notes, he reminded me of Eric Bischoff who it, that's a wrestling reference. So if anybody gets it, great. Meets Bobby Sherman. And it turns out he was like, he. I don't know why there isn't a documentary on this guy. He was an American musician and actually was like kind of a pop star in like South America. And then became basically real champion of like communist countries and socialist, you know, and became a very controversial figure over here. Even though he never renounced his US citizenship, he wasn't really, I think, technically an expat. In the 80s, he did some interview where he compared Reagan to Stalin, and he got in trouble for that, which I mean, he wasn't wrong. For anybody listening that hates it when we get political, you're welcome. But also, at one point, he was like, uh, jailed, I think, in Italy in the early 70s and was bailed out by the poet Pablo Nerada. Where is this guy's documentary? I mean, holy
6: cats. After further investigation, it seems that there are a few documentaries on Dean Reed, including one called "American Rebel" and another called "The Red Elvis."
1: The only thing
3: disappointing, though, is the Flamenco. Like the Flamenco of Death, is basically he distracts people with dancing, and then like Ignazio's character shoots them. I was hoping that his like his little dancing shoes would shoot out bullets
0: or whip his um, spurs across somebody's neck at the end. Dean Reed is in another um, Perolini film that is now on the top of my list called Soto Achi Toka, and it's got Ignacio in it, it's got Aldo Conti in it, it's got Sal Borghese in it, the September guy, and of course I can't find it, so I'm going to have to try and track that down some way. A lot of these other ones are on Prime, or, or this Screen Picks has a lot of Spaghetti Westerns, but of course this one they don't. So they're all matched up again in another Perolini or Frank Kramer film, which is odd, too, because those those credits come up and there's Italian names all over the credits, you know, produced by this guy, music by this guy. And then when they get the, to the director, they always go with the pseudonym. And I'm like, I don't Frank Kramer. How how bland is that?
3: Yeah, it's funny, though, with Valentine, He does. He is a painter, but that seems kind of odd. It's like especially knowing that Dean Reed's background, like he had legit musical experience and that there's the only way where he keeps having to redo like the villain's portrait because he's like, I don't look happy enough. <laughs> Do you ever look
2: happy? His face is so good and I love the monocle. I mean it's such a great touch and yeah, he does look like he is just the world's angriest man at all times. And he shoots the peasants that they've jailed or whatever is. There? And I thought what is the wor- what's
0: going on here and then I caught on and I was like, "Oh, that's really brutal." <laughs> the only thing I really know about the Austrian rule of of Mexico is that we got Dos Equis out of that. So
2: I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis. There's a great political theme that's going through this whole movie, but Sabat is the weak link in the film, which is weird, you know like i I would rather have Escudo. Be the guy who's just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to rally the peasants and me and Septiembre and the dancer guy. We're going to be the ones that take care of business. Maybe Dean Reed gets in there as well. Cool. But Sabata, you don't really need to be part of this fight. Sabata, it's okay. I mean, he does, you know, in the movie, he is part of the fight and he, you know, helps out and everything and great. But yeah. And, and what kills me is like you said is Yul Brenner. I fucking love Yul Brenner, but he's just kind of like a wet blanket in this film
3: especially going from Van Cleef, who's so expressive in the first one, to Brenner, who's just kind of he almost seems bored, you know. I mean, it's just—I mean, he looks great. It's Jill Brenner. He always looks great. Other than like the cigarette gag, which is a great gag, admittedly, like it just doesn't seem—I don't know. It's just not as much fun. I mean, thank God for like the side characters because they—that is where the action is, and you really do love them and you root for them, and it is really cool. It is, you're you're totally right on the political thing where the revolutionaries are the heroes. And the bad guys are the yeah, basically this kind of colonialism sort of thing. But it's just, it, it, again,
0: it breaks my heart. I'm like, man, I don't want to dog on Yul Brynner. You were talking about the music with Dean Reed, and there is a scene where he plays the piano, and they, they sort of have a little tete-a-tete with the piano. And then it comes up again, sort of like the line we used to play together in the first one with banjo. And they talk about doing a duet. So I started going, Oh, are, are, is this the coding again? Is this the homosexual coding again with their past? And, you know, going for a stretch there. But I don't think they ever sit down and actually played the duet together. Or maybe I, I'm misremembering. But there is a little bit of musical uh, stylings in there with him.
3: You're right. I told, I don't know why I forgot that. Cause now that you said that, I remember that. Cause at first you're like, oh wow, Sabata's playing the piano. And that guy throws a knife at him. And like, cause it's like this blonde guy's being really rude to Ignazio and his crew, calling them pigs and saying they smell bad. And the dude, Sabata, like gets on him, dude throws a knife. Sabata keeps playing and I'm just like man Lee Van Cleef wouldn't have done that like that's again it was like between that and a little kid which I will say this at least Juanito doesn't pop up a whole lot in this movie because I was I was like if this kid's gonna be a main character this is gonna be rough thankfully he didn't but he does pop up later on at like a saloon I'm like what kind of monastery (laughs) kind of out of nowhere
0: he's just there again
2: you show me a monastery in a in a cowboy movie, suddenly I'm thinking they're going to get all raped like El Topo. <laughs> so.
3: Yeah, oh, boy, yeah, it's like run, <laughs> all you nice monks, please. It's not like, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> the Austrians like shooting, like shooting down the peasants. I I think if my notes so I literally had said, "What is this El Topo?" Because it's just because most of the violence in these movies. Is I mean, there's a lot of it, but it's very, you know, it's not like gruesome. It's not really what I would call, it's definitely not like pick and paw or anything like that. You know, it's more, especially by the third one, there's not a whole lot of death until more later on. These aren't gruesome movies, but that little scene in, in the second one was, I mean, there's, it's still not super bloody by any means, but just the, the visual and the idea of it is so nasty.
2: Yeah. Especially when they're like, Oh, let more than one of them go at a time to give the Colonel something to, uh, you know, to to really shoot at because shooting off one at a time is super easy. So let's let a group of them go. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. The violence is, it's almost that cartoony kind of violence
0: where there are some squibs and a little bit of a pin needle of blood in it, but you don't get the buckets of blood and big spraying squibs or anything like that. And I believe in one of the cheaper knockoff films, they don't even bother with squibs. People just get shot and fall down on the ground. <laughs> but the second one is one that really gets into that, having the stunt guys do flips and flops off of their horses, and, and and like I mentioned earlier, where it comes becomes very repetitive in in the shooting deaths. That's for me what made this one drag a little bit.
2: There's one of those Sabata knockoffs that. They are so cheap that every time they show somebody on horseback or on a carriage, they just... Show them, you know, like they show them from the waist up, and you can tell somebody's just shaking whatever set that they're on because the clouds never move behind them. They're just going back and forth, like in a very steady rhythm, too. And the guy who's, quote unquote, driving the carriage just is like constantly shaking the reins. I'm just like, what are you doing to those poor horses, dude? It's very much like, hey, look at me. I'm driving. And you just like are constantly moving the wheel back and forth.
0: (laughs) yes i did notice that yeah it's probably the same one because one of them was very very obviously cheaply made sabata's back he's judge jury
4: executioner sabata's back he's got his mind on a million dollars in gold And he's got his sights on an Irishman named McKintock. Sabata's back, but he's not alone. He has friends like Bronco, Fionna, Angel, and Clyde. But McKintock has friends, too. And they're all after Sabata. Sabata's back. A lot of men would like to see him dead. But legends don't die, especially when they're fast with a gun, or a knife, or a fist. The man with the gunsight eyes is back. And he's throwing his weight around, a quarter of an ounce at a time. Sabata's back.
2: So let's talk about the third one, where we've got Van Cleef coming back. And it's The Return of Sabata, Haikyuzo and Ultra Volta. So look out another time. Another Gianfranco Peralini, also co-written by Renato Itzo, uh, who has been a co-writer on a lot of these, if memory serves. And the circus element, the flipping, the the Indio character slash Alley Cat character and the way that he jumps around, or you got those two tumblers that are helpful helping uh, rob the bank in the first movie, take that and times it by, what, 100, 200, 300, maybe? Because this movie literally starts in a circus, even though you think it's very, very 007. It's like the cold open from a 007 film, and then it suddenly changes into, oh, this wasn't real at all. This is a circus act. And it's like... Wow. Okay. And that's the tone of the movie through the whole thing, is it's very much a circus western. I guess it does remind me of Hadarowski a little bit more in the terms of like uh, uh Santa Sangre, which has so much of a circus theme. Here we have the circus in Sabata, and Sabata is just like all about it like oh cool yeah i joined the circus fuck you here i am i'm sabata and i've got even better gadgets this time
3: can we have this be that the unofficial title is yeah i joined the circus fuck you i'm sabata and that's like the whole movie title that would be oh this this open oh my god i felt like any sort of quibbles i had with adios melted away Within the first few minutes of this one, like the, the you know, and I believe Mike, you know, you talk about the the circus and the Santa Sangre, and then Mark, you'd mentioned like kind of almost that giallo style lighting, and oh my god, the reds and the greens, everything looks great, it's tense, you're like, yeah. And then fucking clowns come out. Yes. What? <laughs>
2: What is happening here? Why am I hearing the March of the Marionettes kind of thing going on here? You know, the, you know, whatever that famous circus song is, it's like, here you go. We're in the circus and there's all the trappings.
6: The song is Entry of the Gladiators by Julius Fuchik.
0: That opening is great. Probably one of my favorite parts of the whole series, official and unofficial combined. And a lot of it had to do with those touches. The The coloring was, and I wish that that would come up more because it can get so bland with the desert landscapes and the dusty landscapes and the towns that are p- pretty muted in color and kind of run down. And, you know, I mean, it's supposed to be the old West, so I get that, but, The Old West wasn't always the Old West. At some point, it was the New West, and buildings were painted, newly painted in bright colors, maybe. And uh, it was a nice splash of, of color figuratively and literally to brighten it up for me.
3: You're totally nailing why... I can be so hot and cold with Westerns in general because, you know, a lot of times, you know, in my experience, people will get a little bit not ambitious with the visuals as far as coloring, but even just like camera angles, the movement. And I mean, even in audios, like there's some great just sort of camera, like some pans, some movements. There's a great sort of like tilting upshot in this one of Sabata, like pulling off like he has a tiny pistol like fitted into the heel of his shoe which is so cool and like that angle is so cool and that's that's the gift of these three films and especially this one is just you know they're having a lot of fun giving you a visual presentation that isn't just dust dust dust, horses some dirty buildings you know now you're you're getting a little more of a visual treat here
2: When he's got the one that fits into the palm of his hand, too, there's, like, this whole thing about a metal, but then he'll, like, have the metal sometimes over top of this gun, or it'll just be, like, in his gloves where he can shoot through his gloves at people, and it's like, whoa, this is pretty neat.
0: Yeah, he buys that early on in the film, and you're like, oh, that's gonna come up later on. That little palm palm pistol. It seems like that would burn your fingers when you were shooting it, but... That's just me doing Cinema Sins again or something. One of the bowler twins, he and and Alley Cat from the earlier film, they both were those great bowlers throughout. And I didn't realize it because I watched, I think, the knockoffs pretty closely in succession a while back. And I knew I most likely wouldn't watch them again. But I did watch all of the official three twice. And he is the bad guy in... He's Jim Sparrow in Wanted Sabata, and I didn't even make that connection when I watched Wanted Sabata, but I was like, wait a minute, that guy looks familiar, so I had to do my little thing, and I was like, oh yeah, he's the guy that sets Sabata up and kills everybody to keep raising the the bounty on him, and I'm glad he was a hero in this, because I absolutely hated him in that Wanted Sabata film. Yeah, he's very dastardly in that. But they were fun together, the two of them, the acrobats in this one.
2: If memory serves, this one doesn't have as strong as a villain as the other two. Like this one, he's not really evenly matched with a baddie.
0: Oh no. Though I
3: do love the fact that it's the villain in this one. It's, it's the main one is the, the, the top McClintock. The whole thing is like you have this McClintock kind of organization coming in and overtaxing people and, you know, hiring promotion. Like we see Ignacio and he's got a huge drum that has McClintock on the side of it. And by the way, Ignacio Spala with the giant drum is amazing. What a great visual. And he pounds it and he's like, good citizens. And there's a great gag later on where something hits it. And he immediately just goes into the spiel. And then he's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And um, and there's some great gags in this one. So I kind of like the idea of, of kind of the bigger scope villain being just like this organization, bilking these top people I mean we wouldn't know anything about political parties or organizations taking advantage of good people or anything <laughs> oh I got I'm getting political again but um but yeah I mean as far individually he's a little weaker he does pray a lot like there's definitely this sort of like very kind of like he's religious but obviously at the end you know he's a he's a bad guy and, and gold trumps everything.
2: Well this one has a theme of Irish people as well. Like uh, I think banjo might have been coded as Irish in the first movie with this red hair, but you I mean they were spending a lot of money on red wigs for this movie because we've got a lot of people sneaking around the the town with the red wigs on, which is kind of unfortunate cuz we know that Irish people were not treated very well in the old west and here they're kind of villainous as far as like, hmm, "I'm skulking around the town in my red wig. You never know who to trust." Well,
0: the villains in this didn't didn't work for me as well as the first two. Like, this fella, I it took me a while to even clue into that he was supposed to be the baddie of the film because he just seemed more like a lackey. One of the henchmen that would get taken out by their boss for not following through on, on whatever job they were supposed to do. And I was like, oh, yeah, wait, 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 wait. He's supposed to be the bad guy, and... Uh, you know, his wife is two-timing him with, and now I forget who. Who's the, who's the... Oh, Clyde? Yes, Clyde. Oh, Clyde. Yeah, how could I forget? The Matthew McConaughey of this movie. And then also trying to, you know, everybody's trying to get the gold. And is there a reason why it's always gold dust in these movies and not gold bars? Is that era correct or just out of necessity? It's, I'm, it's odd to be carrying around bags of gold dust that can get broken and leak out like they do in the in the second movie it leaks out all across the road as as Valentine's trying to leave
3: I wanted the same thing I was like that doesn't that seems like a very very bad idea
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a smithy in town that could melt that stuff down into bars right
2: <laughs> You would think I mean I'd be cooking it over the campfire or something <laughs> Yeah, you talking about how weak the bad guy was, it, it totally reminded me, I forgot to bring up that um, Marco Zuanelli is in the first movie as this guy Sharky, who it seems like he's going to be a threat, and then they hire him to kill Sabata, and then it gets killed almost immediately. But I just wanted to bring him up because he is one of those familiar Western, um, spaghetti Western faces, because he plays Wobbles in the um, Once Upon a Time in the West, who is a fantastic character. He's the guy that um, Henry Fonda shoots, and he's got both a belt and suspenders on, and he gives the line of like, "How the hell can you trust him when he can't even trust his own pants?" And John Bartha also shows up. He was the sheriff in Daughtry City uh, in the first movie, and now he's back as the sheriff in this one. But again, I don't think he's supposed to be the same character right.
0: either. Yeah. It's always a different town, and that's when you know that's when things start to get really confusing. And even though you see a familiar face, but. You mentioned that, and that was one thing I wanted to talk about from the first film, is that they keep upping the ante to pay off the people to kill Sabata, even up to the amount that they originally stole. And I just thought that was hysterical, and then, of course it doesn't work out. And
2: Yeah, we'll pay $100,000 to kill this guy when he only wants $60,000. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then it ends up blowing away in the air at the end anyway, so.
3: I love how like kind of the circus keeps coming up, like not so much visually, but it's like at one point when Sabata's talking with McClintock, he puts on this little cylinder, and it's that music that do 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 do, and it, you know the the phrase "the show's over" gets looped, and and I just I, I love the twist that you know because early on it's almost like what is Sabata doing at a circus? It's like it's almost like is he fallen? Kind of. On hard times but then it's kind of slowly revealed that basically there's a counterfeit guy working within the company and sabata's trailing him and joins the circus to keep an eye on him and so it all it all pays off also the counterfeiter has the name of pickles charlene
6: mary pickles
3: pickles
0: pickles the name kept coming up i thought do i know who pickles is am i supposed to know who this guy is <laughs> They sh- show him
2: I don't know if they ever do.
0: At the end, they show his corpse. And then I was like, well, I don't recognize him. It's one of those things that loses me in movies. And this is just a a me problem where names are brought up. And if the character hasn't been shown or I can't associate it with someone, I get completely lost. I mean, that's why I didn't enjoy Miller's Crossing the first couple of times I watched it. Because they talk about a lot of people who aren't in the scene. and it took me forever to realize that Steve Buscemi was mink in that movie. So that kind of tells you how my brain works. Like, who's Pickles?
3: Pickles. And I could be wrong because
0: I, too, got kind of confused over, like, who who is
3: this Pickles? <laughs> but there's that scene where there's a guy with white hair that two of the McClintock henchmen are kind of roughing up and they take his watch. Uh,
0: like, okay. he's in, like, kind
3: of a gray cell. I think that was Pickles. Okay.
0: That makes sense.
3: Again, you know, I, as I told you guys in an email earlier, there were a few characters in my initial notes where I, I wrote somebody as maybe mayor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, you yeah, know, some of the characters, there's a little more guesswork over their titles and
2: names and stuff. Yeah, like, they refer to Clyde as lieutenant a few times, and Sabata is major. So, again, I'm going back to, like, okay, were these guys in the war together? And, again, did they serve on the same side? I'm guessing they did. But, yeah, this time Clyde, this Rainer Scherner character, is very much that. Hey, I'm the flying in the Man, I'm going to fuck up your plan, Sabata. That constant character was just like, man, you need better friends, Sabata.
3: They, there's kind of a, a loose illusion that they fought for the South, that it was the Civil War. And which is something I don't think you would probably see in the States. In an American Western, having the good guy, the hero, the titular hero at that, be, a, be fighting for the South, probably for obvious reasons. <laughs> for very obvious reasons. Reiner, he's a good little shit. Again, I was missing Banjo. I mean, Banjo's got the, the pants, the swagger. A literal banjo, but he's a good kind of like good looking heelish. Fly in the ointments, I think the perfect descriptor.
0: Yeah, I liked him actually. He was my favorite of the of the uh, frenemies in the films, and part of it was I'm like, who is he reminding me of? And then I thought, oh yeah, this is this is the Matthew McConaughey character. Even whoever dubbed him, at least in the version I watched, kind of had that little thing with the ashes. Like Clang. That. Yeah, and I thought, oh. Great. I'm not a big McConaughey fan, but it just kind of tickled me that that that's what he brought to mind.
3: Also, this was the sauciest of the the three, in my opinion. There was a lot of, like, cleavage, and there's this whole thing where Sabata's getting it on with this beautiful showgirl. First time. Slash prostitute. Yeah. I think it's the first time
0: he gets it on in these.
3: Because sex kind of exists in the other two, but not definitely not for Sabata. But this one was definitely... Like, you even have this character of this sort of, like, nebbish guy that nervously goes into, like, the saloon, and he's there every day, but he's afraid to talk to the girls, and, and then he ends up, like, grabbing one of the boobs. Like, I don't know.
0: It was <laughs> – but we can't say son of a bitch. And this is the one where that wonderful theme song plays. We finally get a theme for him.
2: That theme song is crazy. When they start talking about how he's the nine-fingered man, and I had to look up to hear that part of one of his fingers, like Lee Van Cleef's actual fingers, is missing from, what was it, like, something crazy like putting together uh playground equipment for his daughter or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's right. I saw I've seen the picture of his missing finger and it is literally the tip of his middle finger. It is it, calling him a nine-finger man is is taking it a little bit far. I mean, you wouldn't I don't think you'd miss it really. I, my cousin lost a tip of his finger in a lawnmower and it's you don't ever even really can't even tell but it's kind of funny that that weaves its way into the song because it doesn't come up in the film itself it, it's not a plot point that you know he wouldn't be able to fire his guns or something or
2: or they identify him through his missing finger right. like who was it ma'am oh he was a nine-fingered man oh okay
3: wow well, you know now that you say that it's weird because um not so much in this one but how yule britter dresses in audios is a lot like how tony iomi in black sabbath dresses.
2: Oh, yeah, I can see that, especially with the fringe.
3: And he is missing the tip, yeah. But
0: thinking about the saloon slash whorehouses in the film, and it seems like there's one in each one of these, there's something again from the first one that I just wanted to point out real quickly when Sabata is in his room. And this is, a again, a scene that gets repeated in at least two of these films where the bad guys are going to come up to his room and take care of him. And in that one, he does this trick where he hides behind a a picture frame. Oh, I love this. Yes. They walk in and you see, you know, the camera pans past him and you see him in there with his hand up to his chin. And that for me was the biggest laugh out of all seven of these movies that we've watched. I was like, that is so amazingly brilliant. I just absolutely loved it. And I just had to get that in there,
2: because that's my one of my favorite parts of all of these movies. I'm so glad you brought that up. But yeah, I laughed out loud when that happened. And then it's like, it's a mirror as well. Like, they see the reflection in the mirror, but he's actually in the frame across the room. It's like, what is going on? But it was so good.
3: A scene that made me laugh out loud is, in one of the standoffs, there's... They're showing all these various guys that are going to, you know, have a shootout with Sabata. And there's like this Jew's harp. At one point, I swear, it sounded like they made the the instrument go, uh-oh. It was like, boing, boing, like, bup, like boing, boing, like that almost. And I was like, what the, f-? which is a ridiculous, I mean, anytime I hear that instrument, it just makes me laugh. It's like my husband Chuck pointed out, it's used in Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. And it's equally funny in that too, when you hear it, you're like, what? this <laughs>
2: Yeah, I've never really heard, like, a very, you know, sedate symphony or something with a juice harp in it.
3: It doesn't have the most dignity, as far as musical instruments. (laughs) It
0: harkens back to the boner sound.
3: Yes, yes! (laughs) They're they're definitely adjacent. (laughs) Did this film inexplicably apparently was listed in Michael Medved's 1978 book, uh, The 50 Worst Films of All Time?
7: Are you totally
3: deranged? Are you serious? I was like, "This is a great movie." I'm like, "I've, I, have, I uh, any more reason like I, that guy already." We all know it was a child. Anybody who's done film writing or just film lover, if you've read any of his stuff, this this guy was like the hot take king at his day. And there's always gonna be that one film critic that says things like, "That's the worst film of all time," and it's like, really bad. Like, have you seen movies? Have how many movies have you seen? If you think this is bad, like inexplicable. I obviously he didn't see any of the knockoffs, but uh this film is so much fun. I really I think I mean the first one I think is still cohesively the best, but Return of Sabata is just it's it's a fun house ride and damn it, it's Lee Van cleave Like, ah, you cannot touch this guy.
2: Yeah, I like that they bring back the gag at the beginning with the guy getting shot in the face and in this one it's sabata getting shot in the face and so again we have this resurrection kind of thing and i think yeah the clyde character he seems to be much more of an ally than banjo at least in this end part where it's just like oh yeah i'm gonna be the one that shoots you in the face and then you know you'll come back and i'll get shot and that will be fake and all this kind of stuff so i like that and i like that they're doing this whole thing in order to find out where this guy's stashing the gold and that it's all up in this chimney and they find this little lever that that tricks it out and it's like a giant jackpot of all this gold coming down. It is a little strange that it's all about the gold. I mean, it's very much a Western trope of like, where's the gold? But you're just coming back from the Mexican Revolution kind of a thing.
0: Well, at least they were gold coins this time and not gold dust because that would have been hell to clean up
2: they'd be choking in there and (laughs) coughing up gold for weeks blowing their nose like a gold dust in it and it's like now i gotta take this to the smithy
3: oh god it's like that i don't know if you guys ever watched chappelle's show but he had like a, a a skit about mtv cribs where a guy was like grinding gold or diamonds into his omelet so his dookie would sparkle and that's where my brain goes to with this. You have some. It's like when a cat eats tensile, you know.
0: I do like that he still tries to screw Sabata over at the end. They're, they've been in cahoots, and and he's got to try a couple more times to, to put one over on Sabata and not pay off that five thousand dollars he owes him.
2: Yeah, it's not as good as the first one, but I'd have to say like one, three, two is definitely the the preferred uh, strength of these films
0: absolutely I think that's how they came out on my my scaling
2: so let's go ahead and take a break and we'll be right back after these brief messages
1: sick of those trivia podcasts that you don't even understand how to operate and they just have too many levers and buttons
2: there's got to be a better way
1: now there is with good job brain an offbeat quiz show and trivia podcast that makes learning new things easy and fun
7: Join me, Jamie Benning, on the Film podcast, particularly if you enjoy stories like designer Nilo Rhodes jamiro convincing George Lucas to push him around to help gain the support of his crew on the ailing Howard the Duck.
5: Plam! The door opens, it's George. Everybody gasps. George makes a beeline to me. I'm literally back against the wall.
7: Or hear puppeteer Tim Rose's emotional story behind that iconic Admiral Ackbar shot in Return of the Jedi. I believe the war is something... To be proud of, but not to celebrate. Or how Star Wars editor Paul Hirsch tackled cutting so many successful films. The thing
2: that I learned from working with the Palma is that tension depends on a clock. You need to have the sense that time is running out.
7: Maybe Oscar-winning sound designer Mark Mangini's insightful chat about his work on Blade Runner 2049.
0: Not Not a single sound from
6: the original Blade Runner in the new film. A great deal of inspiration.
7: That's the Filmumentaries podcast with me, Jamie Belling from, from page, page to screen, to
1: screen. Movie cast. So they
2: have nine times out of ten, they have to send it back to you unopened, or just throw it in the garbage can.
1: Things don't always look exactly as we envision our life to look, but sometimes it works out and turns out even better. Gregor Fisher' his Bacon number is two because he was uh, appeared with January Jones in Love Actually, and January Jones and Kevin Bacon appeared in X Men First Class together. I've got to say, the very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Now that. <laughs> if you want to rush out. It's about like the acting, about the
6: writing. That's really what theatre is for
7: me. Probably had more names than uh, than Prince or whatever. <laughs> Never mind, there's a joke for the oldies. Um, like be like, Who's <laughs> Prince? Who's I like he? It. I'd just like to see uh, Mr. Freeze hiring his bad guys going, right, okay, so you're a psycho, right, can you ice skate? Head over to iTunes, Spreaker and Stitcher and put in the search box from page to screen.
0: Hi, this is Andrew from We Hate Movies and you're listening to The Projection Booth. If you feel like laughing after listening to
2: some serious film discussion, head on over to our show, WHMPodcast.com. Every Tuesday, a new episode drops us ragging on bad movies, whereas the good folks here at the
0: Protection Booth are talking about good party cinema related stuff. Go here for the cinema, come to us for the laughs afterwards. We hate movies every Tuesday.
5: The third important character in this picture would of course have to be a woman. An Ah! impeccable wildcat, she managed to further complicate the already difficult
4: situation of our heroes. You dirty bant. Now you just take
5: me right back to my hotel. Ah.
4: Just what are you laughing at? Didn't you hear? Mr. Miller is a very, very important man. And a vicious killer. Yet another killer, the Terrible Sabada. Shootouts,
5: the tricks of Leon Pompero, and the courage of Steve McGowan are useless against this infamous bounty
4: hunter. Take your grave for this coming. And here he is. This is where the bloodbath begins. Mr. Steve McGowan, Leon Pompera, gotcha. they want you in Tombstone. We'll travel together. Senor Cockroach, I mean Senor Sabada. The way I stick, you don't want to travel with me? Okay. Up they go. <laughs> you ever what You weave a web and then. They fell into the spider's web.
5: So again, we find ourselves face to face. Hi. Right.
4: Still up. A- you just hurt your hand. What do you think it'll get you beating me? It's been a long time since I played this, but it's a cute little game. While you turn, I shoot. The bullets are supposed to hit the spokes. Now, as you know, I'm a pretty good shot, but it's always, uh, let's say, possible to miss. I'm not quite sure I want to play, but you will and should he miss, you'll see that we don't talk because we know that you are a murderer teach you uh, with six horses and a
5: woman forged the strong friendship between two men as different than this legendary of Steve McGowan and
4: Leon Pompero. I told you it was a trap Leon you forgot all about that mm. McGowan you ain't got much ammunition I'll spare you and the Mexican if you hand the girl over to us don't listen Steve he's a big liar I'd be happy to sacrifice myself to to Miller. I have a proposition,
5: Pistolero. Make
4: it. Man to man will fight it out between the two of us. The girl will be present. If you want her so damn bad, you're going to have to kill me for her. Good idea, my garland. Mercy.
6: Don't step out. Some of trick
2: you. All right, we are back, and we're talking about Sabata, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the unofficial Sabata films. So I didn't watch The Grand Duel, which I, I've wanted to watch that movie for years. It's from 72, and it stars Lee Van Cleef, and it was released sometimes under a Sabata title. So it's out there, but there were a few that were released somewhat sabata titles i mean we'll talk about some of these titles as we go along so i guess let's talk first about wanted sabata that one i only could find under the title sabato dead or alive so it feels like it was released as a sabata film which is really strange because this sabata is not like any other sabata insofar as he's pretty weak There's he gets framed for murder in here and he's on the run through the whole movie which just does not fit the sabata character whatsoever
0: yeah i had a hard time with a number of these trying to figure out who was supposed to be the sabata character and this one was sort of interesting it, it what I guess I got again confused, which seems to be my go-to. I'm like, why is this guy going through all of this trouble? And I, I figured, okay, he, he saves, he sets Sabata up, kills the, poisons the, the livestock's, um, water to set Sabata up, but then he helps him escape. I'm assuming they don't show who helps him escape, but it made sense to me later that it was him. So that Sabata would be on the run and that he could go after him and kill everybody else that was after him to increase the bounty, to get the bounty high, 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 and then he would kill Sabata finally and collect the bounty. I mean, that's what I took from it because I couldn't make sense of it any other way.
2: Of All the people that you don't want to chase down, I would think Sabato would be the guy. But in this one, I don't remember him using any gadgets. I mean, the camera work is pretty just like, okay, yeah, this is happening. This is a movie, but it's nothing where you're just like, oh, wow, look at this. This is, you know, thrilling kind of stuff. It was just, it's like this would be a decent spaghetti western, but as a Sabato film, it's weak sauce.
3: I feel so rewarded this is literally all of my notes angry guys arguing in italian i can't that's what i wrote. I could not get engaged with this one at all again maybe it's one of those things where like if it was divorced from sabata if maybe if 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 one was to approach it just as a regular spaghetti western maybe it would fare better but um i just
0: mm -mm. that guy was so bland though the it's about a character and I'm trying I'm trying to look up his name right now and I, I think he's American. Brad Harris. So he's one of those guys that you know was a football star or something and then ended up being in probably sword and sandal and, and Spaghetti Western films and he is just so bland in this. That was what really killed it for me beside being confused as to what exactly was going on or why this guy freed him. Got him captured, freed him, and then you know kept killing everybody that was going after him.
2: Um yeah, it was kind of a drag. The next two films, the there's one from 70, Ariva Sabata, which is not translated uh properly, but it's known as Sabata the Killer. That one fit to me as a that and dig your grave friend Sabata's Coming. Uh, which was Abre tu foso amigo, Yega Sabata, those two films feel like they go together for me, and i don't know I guess it's just the Fernando Sancho character who who um you know really kind of pulls the films together, but again it's one of these. Is this the same character? I don't think that it is. He's got a different name in both of them. And in one, he's got 10 children, and the other, he's got 14. But then again, a couple of years have passed. I mean, they're really playing into the dirty Mexican stereotype, which is tough at times to be like, okay, yeah, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, you know, like we just uh, Sabata just about killed a guy for calling somebody a stinky Mexican. And so this is very much that same thing. Uh, Anthony Stephan as Sabata in Sabata the killer and Ruf Baldassare as Sabata in the um, uh, dig your grave friend. But in dig your grave friend, Sabata's the a bad guy, which is really kind of strange. Suddenly he goes from good guy to he's the guy that they're avoiding in the, in that way, he's barely in the movie. He just shows up and chases our guys away. The Richard Harrison, um, C. McGowan character, and the Fernando Sancho, Leon Pampero character, they're on the run from this guy. And they kind of make him into a joke at times. They, they pull the wool over his eyes several times.
3: Well, and it's such a waste of Richard Harrison. If anybody's ever seen the amazing Bruce-ploitation film, Challenge of the Tiger... Richard Harrison plays this guy, Dick Cannon, and he is like the suavest mofo. He has like, his estate has topless girls playing tennis for like no reason, other than to be topless and playing tennis. And it's just, he's got the stash. He's the man. You're like, oh, I love Richard Harrison. And then here it just seems like it's kind of, and I don't think it's his fault, you know, I think, you know, he's fine. It's just like, it's kind of a weaker Richard Harrison. And, um, and yeah, the Mexican stereotypes, um, oh, especially in dig your grave it you know when something reminds you of the music video for genesis um Genesis's a <laughs> a genesis uh illegal alien that ain't good that is not it's not a good look and oh god and i hate that song like and so i was even more mad i'm like great now I have, this is racist i'm offensive but then it also makes me like even like wow racist and reminded me of a horrible genesis song like thanks movie
2: I'm sorry. I, I, I misspoke because to me, the two that go together are dig your grave friend. Sabata's coming and watch out, gringo. Sabata will return. Those are the ones that have the same Mexican character because Sabata the killer. That's the one. And I'll just say it this way. So you guys know which one I'm talking about. It's the one with the two dudes, the Mexican and the car. That's the one. That's Sabata the killer, which stands out to me is completely different. And. I'm surprised that that one had Sabata in the name of it at all. And it's just like, what the hell's going on in here? And then to have a car and all this, it just felt so bizarre. The only thing I liked about it, so it's Sabata and this Mexican bank robber named Mangosta. Mangosta, the guy that plays him, has a fucking killer face. And I want to see more uh, movies with this guy. And I'm pretty sure he was in... He was in one of the... I think he's in the original Django films as maybe the sheriff or the mayor. So he's got this great look to him. So Sabato the Killer sticks out like a sore thumb. And ironically, dig your grave, friend. Sabato's coming and watch out, Gringo Sabato will return fit together for me, even though... The original title of Watch Out Gringo is Judas Tomas Tus Monedas, which is uh Judas take your money, so there's no Sabata in the title at all with that one. And I don't even think there's a character named Sabata in the film.
0: That's the one without the Sabata character, which I was just like, okay, why am I watching this one? What did you do to me, Mike? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back to this name, Dick Cannon, that we just completely washed over. And
3: <laughs> Seriously? If, oh my gosh. If you
0: don't insert that boner sound after she says that name, I'm
3: like, <laughs>
0: oh. this whole
3: episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Cannon. And also that film features a scene where um, Bruce Lay... Bruce, that's the thing (laughs) with Bruceploitation. They get, I get confused, kind of like with these knockoffs, like like how to pronounce it, because they're all variations of things, but uh, he fights a bull. Like, and, and luckily it doesn't look like, you know, like a real bull was killed, at least as far as I can tell. But, um, yeah, it's not like Cannibal Holocaust or anything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Dick Cannon, come on. He's got the mustache of a Dick Cannon too. Like that's, you see a man with that smir- that smirk and that mustache, you know he is swimming and trim. Unlike the non-Sabata in Watch Out Gringo. Sabata will return. I did think that the film, the cinematography was better and this one then in some of the other knockoffs and it did give the phrase necktie party referring to hangings i thought that was
0: creative the um mexican stereotyping you that just really put me off of those two and now now i've gotten so confused as to which ones are which but whichever had the same the same the same actor as different characters and i thought like i mentioned to you mike that i just kept thinking of mel Blanc doing his mexican characters in the speedy zapato's cartoons They didn't hit it like that in the unofficial or the official trilogy with the Carincha, Escudo, and whatever his last, whatever his name was in the third one. They didn't go that hard.
2: Bronco. Bronco,
0: yeah. You could see that that could have been a possibility. And of course, that's all up to the dubbing and going that route. They didn't have to go that route. And again, that kind of brings up that question for me of how much of this was scripted and how much of this did whoever was distributing this in America add to the characterization of those guys. Cause I think it was on the episode for crumbs and Jesus shows you the way to the highway. When you spoke to Miguel Yonzo, he was like, the script doesn't really matter when you know, you're going to dub all this stuff. You can, you can keep changing it however much you want and the characters can say what they want and so it just makes me curious to know if if that really stereotyped characterization was in the films originally.
2: Do you actually go like, oh, well, I've got to put on a Mex- Mexican accent for this character and then just lay it on as thick as possible because otherwise it gets lost? You know, if you're slightly Mexican or people are like well, that guy looks like a Mexican character, but you're barely doing an accent, or I can't even tell. So you just like, yeah, Speedy Gonzales it up. So you're just like,
4: okay, muchachos, he's gone. Everybody go to work. We got to get ready for the
0: party. The way they refer to the characters that he plays in this, it's it's Greaser and, you know, which is way more contemporary slander towards towards that. So it just... It's like, really, guys? I mean, you're hitting the lowest common denominator here. It's not necessary. I get that we're in the South. We're near the Mexican border, more likely than not. And in all these films, there are Mexican characters. But this seems like it was the first time where they were really kind of going to that level. Don't cry in front of the Mexicans.
3: Yeah, I mean, because really the closest and the three is, I mean, the you know, Angel... Our Angel's in the third one. Man, it, it does get confusing. <laughs> For Aldo Conti, like, you know, you know Alley Cat is also alternately referred to as Indio, but it's not really used derogative. Like, he's a hero. He's this total, like, stoic, super agile badass that you really love. So, I mean... Yeah, that was kind of, I think, something very refreshing about those three, is that you kind of, especially with the Western genre, especially with American ones, you kind of braced yourself, you know, you're going to see some things that haven't dated well, but I don't think you really had a whole lot of those original ones. Yeah, these, this, yeah, the Mexican stereotype was rough in a lot of these, in these knockoffs. It was just, and I'm not, I I think all of us, I mean, we're all film fans, there's a lot of stuff we can enjoy and love that isn't, that hasn't aged well, certainly, Um, in fact, one would probably argue but like 80% of my favorite films probably fall somewhere right. into that at the time but even for that yeah it's it's uh, it's a bit much
0: <laughs> yeah and at least they never had indio or someone say to indio you know smoke him peace pipe or something silly like that i mean it's it's barely even i wouldn't even associate him as native american really other than his hair and outfit
2: it just doesn't come up and there's you know there's no reason for it too really Sabata never treats him any differently because of that, as opposed to even in Sabata the Killer, there's a little bit of like, you know, oh, yeah, he's my Mexican friend. That old prejudice commercial.
1: Yesterday, Kimmy said I was
6: prejudice.
2: Do you know what uh, prejudice is?
6: No.
5: Well, prejudice is when you react to someone because of their religion or their country
6: but I don't do that.
5: Who is
2: Jimmy? Jimmy's one of my Jewish friends. And you are prejudiced, because you think of Jimmy as your Jewish friend and not your friend. Who told you that word? Oh, uh, Eduardo Fajardo. He's my Mexican friend.
0: I have to point this out, just because I get a kick when this shows up in movies and it has no real connection to my hometown. But they do mention the Fresno Fountain in Dig Your Grave, Friend, and... My ears always perk up when I hear, hear that word in movies. So
2: these four films would be okay as again, just westerns, but as Sabata films, no, it is, it's not the character whatsoever. I would probably rewatch Watch Out Gringo Sabata Will Return and Dig Your Gray Friend Sabata's Coming, but Sabata the Killer and Juan Sabata. I'm okay if I never watch those two again.
0: The Dig Your Grey Friend, and, I'm, and I may be confusing them. I put them in, when I watched them, I think I put them in order of release. And I want to say the third one I watched, which appears to be Dig Your Grey Friend, seemed to me my least favorite. And part of it had to do with the, it felt like the music was. Kind of like library music, and there were really abrupt cuts between scenes where, you know, they like took the needle off the record and then and put down another one on a different record, and it was just kind of like, ah, ah. And I don't think the image was as good on that, which you know is just something that happens when you're trying to source out all these films. But I don't know. I don't know which ones I'd watch again. I'm trying to think of what had the most interesting stuff in it, like we're missing gadgets, we're missing some of the fun, uh, some of them were kind of dour, and except for the one with the car, that seemed a little bit uh, on the goofier side,
2: but yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to return to any of these. "Dig Your Grave Friends, is Coming, I think the version of that that I watched was actually like a fan dub slash fan edit of it, because... Every once in a while, they would be speaking English. Then suddenly, they jump to. Right. I don't know if it was Italian or (laughs) Spanish. Okay, German. I (laughs) know there was one where they'd go to German. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. The last one was very German because the title came up in German and it ended with uh, the German word for end. But then, yeah, there were there was at least one where they would jump into Italian, and it would be just like weird, like one off shots, just like oh, here's a shot of the sabata character and he'd be like you know see or whatever and i'm like okay uh why was that not in the English version of this film. Like, did you trim that or is it just missing from it? Like how you're talking about how there's abrupt cuts and just the music turning off, you know, some of it is because these things are not preserved and they look like garbage. Uh, There was at least one of them that I watched where I was just like, wow, this is not even pan and scan. It's basically just whatever's off the side of the frames is off the side of the frames. You just get the middle part of it. So good luck.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I, I remember. I think we had an issue with uh, a couple of them being undubbed and or unsubtitled. So I know you had to track down different versions. So that's probably what led to these these kind of chopped up versions. And that always makes me think of the Italian horror movies, where all of a sudden the scenes that were cut for American release or maybe even British release are just all in a dubbed Italian, and there's no subtitles or the same you know and you're like okay well that scene was obviously cut from our prints and i just don't get to know what they're saying and that's fine because it's usually just dialogue scenes that end up getting cut like that they're not cutting the the gore and the sex necessarily or in these cases they're not cutting out the the shoot, shootouts it's you know let's let's speed up the pace a little bit on these films and get rid of some of the talking
2: Yeah, so many strange versions of these. And yeah, what you're saying totally reminds me of like Deep Red, I think it was, where it was just like, the scene where the psychic is talking is half of it's in Italian, half of it's in English or like four flies on gray velvet. I don't think I've ever seen a decent version of that. It's always where they will speak many languages because it's been called together from all these different sources. I'm sure there's a better version out there by now, but back when I was on a Argento kick, when we were doing a bunch of Argentos on the show. Yeah. Good luck with that.
0: Yeah, and there's scenes like that in Phenomena, which is one of the few movies that I know, you know, as when I watched it as Creepers as a kid, I knew like, Oh yeah, this is a different version. A lot of times I didn't catch that when I was younger, but yeah, you watch that and it's, it's Jennifer Connolly being, being dubbed over in Italian in certain scenes. And I'm like, okay, this was some of the stuff that was cut out
2: and. I mean, it's almost a nice, like, flag for you, where it's like, oh, okay, I'm seeing what's different. You know, like, when I saw Metropolis, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's the print that's beat to hell, and it's like, oh, this is the one that they rescued from, like, a Brazilian film vault or whatever. So it's like, oh, this is interesting as a comparison tool, but at the same time, I'd like there to be a really beautiful print of this that's pristine throughout.
0: I do appreciate being able to tell the difference, actually, because that whole idea of different versions of films is something that drives me absolutely crazy. Like, what's the definitive version of these films that just got hacked to pieces depending on the region that they were played in? And we cut this stuff out in America because we don't want a bunch of talking. We cut this stuff out in England because of the gore and violence. You know, in Germany because of this and in Asian countries because of this. And then it just becomes this thing where you get a disc from whoever, you know, whoever's releasing these film and there's five different versions of the movie. And I'm like, I I can't watch five. I can't watch this movie five times, even though I like it. I don't want to do that. <laughs>
2: Oh, and especially you're like what was different? Oh there was one shot for one second. It was a horse that fell and the and the uh, British didn't like the violence. Oh okay, great. Yeah, sometimes I think they should call these Swiss cheese westerns. All right guys, we're going to take another break and play a preview for next week's show. A golden bullet.
5: When the bullet turns red, the general will be dead. chuncho, the bandit, El Nino, the gringo. Side by side, they killed for what they believed in, gold. Santo, the Holy One. What the Lord giveth, he took away. Adelita, the woman, she gave aid and comfort to the enemy, then blasted him to pieces. general he needed many guns he got one bullet a golden bullet a bullet for the general
2: that's right spaghetti western month concludes with a look at a bullet for the general until then i want to thank this week's co-host heather and mark so mark what is the latest with you sir
0: well since we're uh, still stuck at home, kind of for the most part here. I'm operating under the Smooth Brain Initiative and don't have much set up in the way of shows. I just flying by the seat of my pants. About the only new thing I've got going on is I've got some swag up at T Public now. So if anybody's interested in getting a shirt with my logo on it, you can go to my website and track that down. Um, But that's about it. I'm just releasing stuff here and there and trying to rope my daughter into recording episodes and things like that. So hopefully the world will get back to normal or my world will get back to
2: normal soon. I have my wake up heavy shirt on order should be arriving this week and heather what's new with you
3: well i recently wrote about the 2020 independent film uh brandon colvin's a dim valley uh, which delves into the sensual and magical world of botanists uh, you can read this and more of my work over at diabolic
2: and heather i was very happy to see a new uh episode of or sorry a new issue of your newsletter come out that was great always enjoy that
3: oh thank you and if anybody's interested as the mondo heather newsletter pluggy mcplug plug plug uh and if you're interested uh you can send me your email address over at to my email address which is Drain at gmail.com and i'll get you on the list
2: Well, thank you so much, folks, for being on the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks especially to our Patreon community. If you want to join the community, visit patreon.com slash projection booth. Every donation we get helps the projection booth take over the world. episode of the projection booth and as the end credits roll we wanted to thank you the listening audience here at the projection booth podcast with
0: mike white host extraordinaire Bang.